0: Thank you. Good evening. I'm Nancy Brown, and I do work at the American Chesterton Society, and Richard's actually my boss, so we do know each other pretty well. Um, What a beautiful church you have. Thank you for inviting me. It's just gorgeous, and the stations were just amazing. I come from a parish that we have a beautiful church, but we have a very modernist view of Everything, including the stations, which uh, is, are not even worth going to, and so coming here tonight was just wonderful I, I really um, I was grateful for, i'm grateful that I, I can be here and I hope you're grateful for what you have here. this is beautiful so i 'd like to thank St Agnes and Father Mark and Richard and um, just it 's an honor for me to be here tonight thank you my area oh thank you <laughs> My area of expertise is Francis Chesterton, Gilbert Keith or G. K. Chesterton's wife. Um, she was Frances Alice Chesterton, and she was his wife for 35 years from 1901 until his death in 1936. We know very little about his wife, um, and so I became curious about her because she was the wife of a genius, and I think I have a genius for a husband. And so I thought, gee, I wonder how she coped with that. (laughs) Because um, sometimes geniuses can be a little eccentric or um, different uh, or hard to deal with or just very single-minded or whatever the case may be. And so I thought that I could learn something about being a wife to my husband if I knew more about Frances and how she coped with being the wife of Gilbert. So that's how come I started looking into her life and getting interested in her life. So last week, you heard Dale talk about Chesterton's conversion, and his conversion is intimately connected with hers. So it might be good to learn a little more about her life and how she influenced his conversion and how he influenced hers and what those conversions mean for us today. Francis grew up in a middle-class London family that was nominally Church of England or Anglican, just like most everyone else in England at the time. It was pretty much the state religion. Francis was baptized as an infant, but her parents weren't regular attendees. But they had a family Bible, and they went to church on high feasts like Christmas and Easter. But when Francis was 17 years old, Three years after her father had suddenly died of a heart attack when he was only 41 years old, she enrolled at St. Stephen's College in London, which was run by the Kluwer Sisters, that's C-L-E-W-E-R if you're interested, Kluwer Sisters of St. John, which is an Anglican group of nuns. They had a special care for the poor, and they ran the college mostly for the daughters of clergy who would otherwise be unable to attend and go to higher education of any sort, but they also accepted some girls from families in circumstances like Frances's. Frances boarded there at St. Stephen's and started college, and she loved the structured life that the sisters offered. There was school, there were clubs, there were activities for the girls, and there were opportunities to serve the poor by teaching Sunday school and tutoring and there were food and clothing distributions, and all of this had a great influence on Frances. She was studying there to become a teacher. She began reading the Bible seriously, and she attended church regularly. She loved the sisters and their life, but was not called to that vocation. Shortly after she left college, she began working full-time for a teaching organization run by Charlotte Mason called the PNEU, or the Parents National Educational Union. Now, if any of you are homeschoolers, you might have heard of Charlotte Mason. Some people are following her method even today. There still is a Charlotte Mason organization in the US and still in England, too. Frances was the general secretary, and she did everything from taking minutes to giving educational lectures to organizing their annual conferences. Shortly after she took this job, she met Gilbert. When Gilbert met Francis, her faith was definitely something that was an attractive quality to him. He never knew anyone before who actually practiced their religion, and that intrigued him. Everyone else that he knew was, just said they were what they were, and they didn't do anything about it. So Gilbert had been baptized Anglican, but was raised Unitarian, and during his college years, he had struggled with doubts. But a few years later, when he met Francis, he had become a theist. He had come through his dark time and had hung on with one thin thread of thanks, as he said. And he thought if he could be thankful, then he should have someone to thank. And so he came to believe in God. But when he met Francis, Gilbert said it was the first time that he understood about the Trinity and about the importance of the sacraments. It was under Francis' influence that Gilbert went from being a theist to a Trinitarian or a Christian. It was Francis who introduced Gilbert to Jesus Christ who told him for the first time that made sense to him about the Savior who came to earth as a little baby. Gilbert began to attend the Church of England with Francis and he joined the church. However, he never really felt completely a part of it. He always had doubts about it. And later on, an Anglican priest who knew both of the Chestertons well said Gilbert wasn't a very good Anglican. (laughs) Gilbert and Francis were married in 1901 in an Anglican church in Kensington near Gilbert's home. They attended church services on Sunday. Frances taught Sunday school and one evening a week she helped out the poor children in the neighborhood by tutoring them. She also taught them how to write poetry believing that when children read and write poetry good things happen. So her initial influence over Gilbert's conversion to Christianity was great. But as soon as Gilbert became a Christian, he said, he began to develop his own ideas about it, and he eventually invented his own little religion, he said, only to find out, after he dusted it off, that it was a reality for 2,000 years already. (laughs) He seemed to be drawn to what he called orthodoxy, or the ancient faith. He wrote the book, Orthodoxy, in 1908, and it's described as his Christian Apology, which converted many to Roman Catholicism, although not Gilbert. Why didn't Gilbert convert at this point when he believed everything Roman Catholics believe? It was because he wanted to convert with his wife. They did everything together and he wanted to convert together too. So why didn't Francis convert with him then? Francis had a very emotional attachment to the Anglican faith that Gilbert didn't have. Because the Clure sisters that Francis met in college had helped her so much in her young adult years, she practiced her religion in complete good faith, believing, as many were taught back then, that there were three legitimate branches of the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholics, the Greek Orthodox, and the English Catholics. Frances believed, as she was taught, that she was already a Catholic. And she had a church home. She loved the priests who served. She had tea with their wives. She taught their children and was thoroughly involved in parish life wherever they lived. And in order for her to convert, Gilbert would have to convince her that her church was wrong. And that was not an easy task, because so much of what Francis believed and was doing was right. There was just the little matter of the Pope. (laughs) And so for Francis, converting from Anglo-Catholic to Roman Catholic was a much more difficult thing than Gilbert's conversion from a sort of non-denominational Christian to Roman Catholic. Although Gilbert sidestepped into the Anglo-Catholic Church because of Francis, he was never at home there like she was. So Gilbert was patient. As the years passed, Gilbert became more and more anxious to make a decision about his conversion. At one point, he pitted three of the best priests of the Roman Church against three of the best priests of the Anglican Church asking them various questions, and allowing them to sway him either way. He said he was giving Francis's people a fighting chance. <laughs> but in 1922, several things happened. First, Gilbert's father died. His father's death brought home quite uh, in reality to Gilbert the knowledge that if one were going to do something important, one should do it before one dies. And just a few years earlier, Gilbert himself had had a near-fatal illness, so he realized the fragility of life. And during that illness, Frances was very concerned because she knew that he wanted to convert, and she wasn't sure if she should do something about that when he was laying on this apparent deathbed. It, It distressed her quite a bit. So from that time until this time, probably about five years had passed, and he still hadn't converted. The second thing that happened in 1922 was that he was invited to give a talk at a large Anglo-Catholic gathering and he had agreed to do it months before his father had died, but now he felt he should not give that talk, that he was a hypocrite. However, he knew he had made a promise and so he gave that speech and he told Francis that it was his farewell address to the Anglican religion and he was ready. Frances, however, still had several problems with converting in 1922. First, she didn't want to convert just because Gilbert was converting. She really wasn't quite convinced of the need to convert. She was worried people would say she did it because of him, and if she did it at all, she wanted to do it under her own terms, in her own time, and not until she was convinced it was the right thing to do. And second, she had heard Gilbert say he was going to convert before. And she wasn't going to go through with any of the preparations if he wasn't going to follow through again. So she dragged her feet. And she certainly wasn't going to take the lead, which is what Gilbert would have preferred. So finally Gilbert did convert in July of 1922. He was 48 years old, and Francis attended the ceremony, sniffling and crying through the whole thing. Gilbert was very happy, except for Francis. But then the reality of his conversion slowly sunk in. Francis now had to go to church alone. And Gilbert was going to his church alone. And when she started going with him, She couldn't participate fully. Only months after Gilbert's conversion, she began to believe that she would follow him one day. She believed in her husband. They thought alike on many topics. She believed he was a genius. And if he converted, she knew it must be the right thing to do. And yet, she hesitated. She still wanted to be in control and still wanted to do it her own way. But they couldn't stand being separated for any reason, whether physically or spiritually. Francis wrote to a priest and asked how she should begin her instruction. One of the helpful things that happened next was that a very good friend of Francis's, who was also an Anglo-Catholic, was converting. And when Francis discovered this, the two ladies got together and had discussions about the faith and conversion. And these discussions helped Francis talk with Gilbert, too. But then, Francis got ill. Her health was fragile their entire married life, with illnesses on and off throughout the years. For the record, Gilbert got sick a lot, too. And when he was ill, she took care of him. And when she was ill, he took care of her. And he once said that he never felt as helpless as when Francis needed him. Francis suffered from infertility. She had a rapid heartbeat. She had dental problems on and off. She had the flu, which led to pneumonia, and she even had appendicitis, and they took her appendix out back then. You know, these were the days before blood transfusions and antibiotics, so she was usually sick a lot. Gilbert had liver and heart problems. He was overweight. Um, there's a suspicion he might have had something like diabetes. He, they said he had gout. He broke his arm once. He sprained his ankle once. They were always, either one or the other, taking turns. So Francis's illness delayed her instruction. Their travel schedule delayed their, the, her instruction, and his writing work kept them both busy. But even their spiritual separation bore fruit. First, they had the opportunity to talk about the faith in deeper ways than ever before, and now their conversations were even more important. Gilbert longed for Francis to return to him. Their relationship was vital to each. They were one, partners, a team. And to have Francis not on the same page was the thing that quite possibly brought Gilbert and Francis closer for it was the very thing Gilbert could not tolerate. He worked hard to help her over whatever hurdles she thought were in place, and he prayed for her. Frances used this interval to accomplish some projects that I'm very glad she had time to work on, because in the four years between their two conversions, Frances wrote plays and poetry prolifically. The plays were written for the children at the local school in Beaconsfield. And after they were performed, people asked her for copies of the scripts so they could put them on somewhere else. And because of this, Frances collected her plays and she found a publisher. And then Frances looked back through her poetry notebook and decided she would publish a collection of her poems in a small volume that she would give away to her friends. After this collection was published, Maisie Ward, the future publisher of Chesterton's biography, asked Francis if their publishing house, which was called Sheed and Ward, could publish a collection of her Christmas card poetry. These were poems that Francis wrote each year as the Christmas greeting from her and Gilbert. Each of these poems, uh, some of these poems were set to music, and they actually became popular songs in England. They're still sung today. The most famous of which is How Far Is It to Bethlehem? This small book of Christmas carols enjoyed good reviews and was popular in England. Frances had a devotion to the nativity scene all her life, collecting figurines and setting out nativity scenes at Christmas in many of her rooms throughout her house. Many of her Christmas poems are a meditation on the Christ child, Mary and Joseph in the stable and the visit of the three kings and so forth. We know that Francis meditated often on the scene in Bethlehem and spent much time contemplating the child in the manger. Since they never were able to have children, it it was perhaps a consolation for her to think about these things. However, no one in our time even knew that Francis had written plays or poetry, much less that they were published. So once I found these things, I did collect them into a book and I brought it with me if you'd like to see it afterwards. Gilbert also encouraged Francis to write her biography, which she refused to do, sadly. She felt her private life was private and that no one would be interested in it. Meanwhile, the first book Gilbert wrote after his conversion was the biography of his and Francis' favorite saint, Saint Francis of Assisi. They both had devotions to St. Francis since they were young and Francis had bought a statue of the saint for the center of their garden. She had once read a quote of St. Francis where he said that flowers should be grown in gardens for the sake of beauty alone. And she loved that because she loved gardens and gardening. In 1926, four years after Gilbert's conversion, Francis finally felt ready to make her way into the Catholic Church. She began talks with Father Walker. Besides everything else, Francis wanted to avoid publicity regarding her conversion, and Father Walker, she thought, would be discreet. Walker was the same priest who had prepared Gilbert for his First Holy Communion. She was received on All Saints Day, her favorite Holy Day, November 1, 1926, at High Wickham, The Catholic Church in Beaconsfield was still under construction at the time. Gilbert and Francis would be instrumental in the funding of the completion of that building. In fact they were responsible for a very beautiful stained glass window in the church which you can still see today. It's a portrait of St. Francis of Assisi at the moment of his, when he received his stigmata. It's quite unusual and it's very beautiful. There is also another unique feature in the stained glass window of the church. In the window behind the altar, where you usually see a depiction of Christ on the cross, at this church you find the nativity scene. It is believed that Gilbert and Francis were instrumental in choosing the theme of that window. Despite her secrecy and her caution, the papers immediately reported the news of Francis's conversion, which reached ac- across the Atlantic to the New York Times on November 7, 1926. Mrs. Chesterton's faith, read the headline. Novelist's wife reported to have joined him as Catholic. Mrs. G.K. Chesterton, the notice said, wife of the famous English writer who became a Roman Catholic, has adopted her husband's faith according to a report here. Frances was deeply embarrassed by the publicity. She once went into a church and saw a large poster with her own picture on it, announcing her conversion. (laughs) She asked them to please take it down. (laughs) After After her conversion, she wrote this to a friend. Just a line of Christmas greeting I have been ill, and all my Christmas letters are in arrears. You will, I know, be glad to hear that I received my First Communion at Wickham last Sunday and was confirmed in the cathedral in the afternoon. I am very happy, though the wrench was rather terrible. It was hard to part with so many memories and traditions. Pray for me, please, that I make a good Catholic. According to her friends, once Francis converted, it was as if she were instantly at home in the Catholic Church. And according to Gilbert, when Francis was asked who converted her to the Catholic faith, for everyone would expect her to credit her husband, she would answer, The devil. <laughs> Gilbert was quite happy once again, and the couple walked. Their spiritual path hand in hand. Now what does all this have to do with Lent? Gilbert and Francis are a wonderful example of a faithfully married couple. Married people can learn a lot from their tender love for one another and the way they viewed life as a team. We can learn even from their experience of conversion how they patiently waited for each other to be ready. Gilbert got ideas from Francis, which later turned into essays and books. She inspired him, and then she supported him in his writing life. For many years, she was his secretary. And later on, she kept his calendar and made sure he got to his lectures on time and made sure his newspaper columns were delivered. And she tied his shoes. <laughs> but she never lost her sense of identity. She continued to teach and tutor children, run poetry groups and writing clubs and write plays and poetry and she continued to speak her own mind. One relative said it was not unusual for Francis to say the next day the very same thing that Gilbert had said the day before. And it wasn't because she was blindly repeating him, it was because she truly believed in him and what he had to say. They really did think alike. They were both open and childlike. They both retained a sense of wonder all their lives. And this kept life and their marriage interesting. Gilbert was completely dependent on her for his happiness, according to Joseph Pierce, whom you heard here two weeks ago. Gilbert needed Francis to feel okay in this world. And Francis needed Gilbert. They did everything together. They worked all day together. They took care of their nieces and nephews and godchildren. They went to all of his lectures together. And when Gilbert started giving talks on the BBC, Francis sat across from the microphone so he would have an audience. She introduced him to a Trinitarian God. He introduced her to the ancient church. They prayed and laughed together, ate and entertained together. And if perhaps members of our families aren't on the same page with us spiritually, we can hope that we, like Gilbert and Francis, will have patience and see the good of our differences and give those differences a chance to pull us all together. So I think the lesson for us is to live our marriage and our family life in imitation of Gilbert and Francis. To be converted daily to Christ and be devoted to the family we've been given. Support one another and love each other, even if our religious differences temporarily seem to divide us. Remember that during those four years between Gilbert's conversion and Francis's, They had opportunities to talk about their faith in deeper ways than ever before. Gilbert and Francis kept their childlike sense of wonder. Looking at the world with wonder is something we all need to work at, for it makes life wonderful. They remind us to be thankful for everything. Thankfulness and wonder are two great lessons the Chestertons teach with their marriage. And finally I hope that Dale Alquist mentioned last week about G.K. Chesterton's sainthood cause gaining momentum. There is a priest assigned and he's in England. His name is Father John Udris. He's tasked with, as he describes it, taking the temperature of the devotion of Chesterton around the world. There is a great devotion to Chesterton in Argentina where Pope Francis is from. Pope Francis is a Chesterton fan. He's quoted Chesterton. And he said mass in Argentina for the Chesterton conference that was held there. He's possibly going to be sympathetic to a request to open a cause, I should think. There is a great devotion to G.K. Chesterton in America, too. Kind of centrally located here in the Twin Cities for some reason. (laughs) But here's the thing about the cause. Chesterton was a married man. And to me, and I hope to you, and I really hope to Father Udris and Pope Francis, that if Chesterton is a saint, then Francis is one too. And they really should be considered together. A married couple works in tandem. And this couple worked very closely together all their married life. Their influence over each other was huge. And if if there is a cause, maybe it should be as a married couple. Father Udris and I have a little theory that, you know, Chesterton was waiting for Francis to convert with him. Maybe he's waiting for us to recognize Francis before he can be a saint. Don't know. But here's what I'm gonna ask you to do if you should feel so inspired. Please go to them, right now, before the cause opens. They're not so busy right now. (laughs) They are pretty quick to respond to requests made to them. I've discovered two things so far that I've tried with them. One is marriages that are in difficult situations. I've asked them to help, and they seem to understand. Go to them when you know of a married couple that needs help, needs prayers, needs hope. They seem particularly sympathetic to such difficulties. Let them intercede for you. In addition, I've discovered that they're good at finding things. Let me tell you this little story. A friend of mine, Mary Eileen, wrote to me asking me to help her pray because her daughter Hannah had lost her cell phone. You know how tragic that can be but she was leaving shortly for korea for a foreign exchange program and she really needed this cell phone so i told her about gilbert and francis who she did not know anything about and she said well why should i pray to them and i said well gilbert was always losing things and francis would always find them so we tried that we prayed but after a week of looking and praying they still could not find that phone. But a little while later, sadly, Mary Eileen lost her wedding ring. And the first day, she didn't tell me the first day, the first day she searched the house and she prayed to St. Anthony. But she didn't find the ring the first day. The second day she woke up and she thought, what am I gonna do, I have got to find this ring. And she remembered what I said about Gilbert and Francis and so she asked them to help her find the ring the very next place she looked, which was in the garbage, she found her ring. And guess what else she found? The, the cell phone. phone. No. She <laughs> found the cell phone, yes. So if you have lost something, ask Gilbert and Francis to help you. If you know of a marriage that's in trouble, ask them to help you. If they do help you, please write to Father Udris and let him know he's collecting these stories. I hope and pray that the example of Gilbert and Francis will be an inspiration to you to live out your vocation as a spouse or as a member of your family more deeply. Thank you very much for having me here tonight. What, are we gonna do a quick Q&A? Yes. Yeah, anyone have any questions? Yes, sir. What's the status of, your, of the book, Nancy? Is it I, I've been working on the biography of Frances Chesterton for about 10 years. Um, there, it was a, um, a book that required a lot of research. There is only a very little bit about her in any of the books that are written on Ches- G.K. Chesterton, um, not because there isn't a lot out there, but just because it took more digging to find out about her. And so I've looked through all the libraries in the US, Canada, and I've gone to the British Library in England, and the book is now virtually complete. Um, I, I have it back from an editor, and I have to look at it again, and then we have to lay it out and ask it printed, so it's, we're hoping 2015. So I have a sign-up sheet in the back. If you're interested in it, um, give me your email address. I'll let you know when it's out. So any other questions about Gilbert or Francis, their life together? A lot of people always but yes? Uh, how do we contact his father, Udris? Udris. Um, you can get him through me. I can give you my email address, or I can, I can remember his email. You have to probably go through me. I don't remember what his exact email is. But, yeah, you can get it. Or look, um, I don't know. That's a good question. I'll leave you my e- email address. Yes? Last week, Dale talked about uh, the, relationship, the dependency that Gilbert had on Francis, and that being a genius, the daily tasks were failures for him, and she needed to back him up. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, so the question or the comment is that um, Gilbert was a genius, but a failure at tasks of daily life. Now, that wasn't entirely Gilbert's fault, I should say. Um, His mother kind of did that to him. She didn't care about how he looked. She would never make him brush his teeth or comb his hair. She was only concerned about the intellectual life. And so Chesterton had a brother, and between him and his brother and his mother and his father, their meals were constant debates, and they were always it was always working on the things of the mind. And so he was never required to clean his room or even, I mean, combing his hair. He, he, during their engagement, in fact, Francis complained about his hair <laughs> because his hair was always messy, and it just, you know, it was curly, and it didn't do what it was supposed to do. And, and so when he wrote her back, he said, it seems to me as if my hair gets cut and remains in a perfect state for about three minutes. And then it's not good again. <laughs> so he was, was trying to get her to, well, anyway, she was the one who put the hat on his head and gave him the big cape coat to kind of cover that up. But she did help him, <laughs> she, she did help him with the tasks of daily life. And part of the reason for that, and I can completely understand this as being the wife of my own husband, is to allow him to do the things he does best. So the thing he did best was the writing, and so she didn't want him to worry about other things. Although he would make a joke of what, she, like he would walk around the garden, and she, when she took her friends around the garden, she would say, "You know, this is a honeysuckle and that's a sunflower," and he would say, "Well, this is the bishop's bigamy," and he would make up, war, he would just make up things and. As if he knew what those things in the garden were, but he didn't. He didn't know, so. Yes, she, he was dependent on her, but she was equally dependent on him. They were a very close couple. They really did depend, they went everywhere together. There was a time where Francis was sick one night, and Gilbert was required to go to the opening of, the, of a play. It was his own play, the, the Man Who Was Thursday, but someone else had adapted into it, and This was going to be the opening night, And she was ill, and he somehow went out to dinner with these people, and he wasn't dressed for the play. So he was supposed to come home and get dressed, and he couldn't handle it. And she said, that's it, this is the last thing you're going to alone, I'm going everywhere else with you. Uh, So from then on, she went everywhere else with him. So anything else? Yes? How did they first meet? Are there any details about that? Yes. Uh, that would be forthcoming in my book, <laughs> but I will tell you, um, I don't know how much Dale told you about um, Chesterton's early life, but one of the things that Gilbert did when he was in what would be we would call high school is he and a group of friends had this debate club, and they were each assigned uh, different positions, and then they got together, I, I think it was possibly even weekly, Someone was the secretary, they took notes, and and we actually have the records of this little debate club that they belonged to. Well, in Francis's neighborhood, completely independent, you know, they didn't know each other up till now, Um, in Francis's neighborhood, when Frances was a young adult, she and her sister and her brother and a couple of their friends said, hey, let's have a debate club. And they started one in their house. So they, over the course of a couple of years, just you know, the fringes went out. If you were interested in debate clubs, you might want to go to this house because they have it. And that's actually how he ended up at her house because a friend of his said, we're going to this debate club. I like this one girl in the family, but there's this other girl. You, you might be interested in her and boy, he was. <laughs> so the debate club at, Francis's maiden name was Blog, B-L-O-G-G, Blog. So the debate club was at the blog house, and that's where he met her. Yeah. So what else? Anyone else? Yes. Were there uh, was her conversion, or his a cause for a change of heart by in any other family members of her family? Interestingly enough, no, no one else in well not her sister at that time the only other person in her family was her sister and her sister and her husband did not convert however they had i told you they couldn't have children but they did have people <laughs> what can i say um, there were a couple of kids who spent all of their school holidays with the chestertons one was a uh, the son of francis's cousin so this boy ended up for 10 years, every school holiday, he spent with Gilbert and Francis. So they weren't even his uncle and aunt. They were his parents' cousins. Cousins, <laughs> I guess. So anyway, um, but that boy became a Catholic and his brother became a Catholic. And so there, there are some more relations that did become Catholic, but not, in her, not her sister, not her nieces and nephews, but these other people in their circle and certainly amongst their friends there were many conversions. And some, some people, um, like, I believe it's Father Ronald Knox. You, maybe you can tell me. Uh, Father Ronald Knox read Chesterton's book, Orthodoxy, became converted to Roman Catholicism, and then was helpful when, when Gilbert was actually converting. So here, Gilbert's book converts this guy, and then he converts Gilbert. I mean, that's just amazing how those things happen. Yeah. So anything else? When did Frances die? 1938, so two years after Gilbert. Um, She was actually five years older than him. So he was 62 when he died. She was 67, and then within about a year she got cancer. And she died a very painful, unfortunately, a very painful death, but she thought of redemptive suffering and it was a beautiful death. And she died in December of 1938. Yeah. And there was a question in the back. Oh, when did she die? Yeah. She had a lot of beloved nieces and nephews. Part of the work that I did for this book, I found her great nephews in England, and they still had some things from the family. They had pictures and newspaper articles, and that's, it that was wonderful to connect with them. And they were amazed that after all this time, someone wanted to know about their famous aunt, great aunt. Yes? Describe their relationship or marriage? Well, a, d- a description of their marriage. There was a, a time when they were leaving their friend's house and they were waving goodbye, and they, and they said, Come visit us, come visit us. And the friend said, They were just like two children, as innocent as could be, just waving and saying hello. They were, they were just very similar. It's very, it was very interesting to read some of the essays that Francis wrote before they were married. And it's, this is in my book, but you see some ideas like about childlike wonder and things like that. And then later on, you see Gilbert writing essays about that very thing. And you don't know, did Francis think of it first? Or did Gilbert? Or did they just talk about it and come up with it together? So they're, they're very, very close. They saw alike on many things. Um, But, you know, they had this religious difference, you could say, but they were still both very interested in their faith and ultimately both converted. So, two peas in a pod, very close, yeah. Yes? Uh, Could you say more about how Francis helped uh, G.K. come to believe in the Trinity? Well, I believe that Francis's training at the St. Stephen's College Uh, was it must have just been at the right moment you know she had lost her father and she was pursuing this interest in teaching she loved children Um, I believe that she was a Christian who believed in the Trinity long before she went to that college but I believe that that college experience solidified her beliefs so when Gilbert and her first met um, Gilbert agreed there was a God, but he had been raised Unitarian, and they don't believe in a Trinitarian God. They believe in one God. And so that was in Chesterton's background, you know, that there's just this one God, and if there's a God to thank, I'm just gonna thank that God. I believe that Francis was able to convince him through the Bible, which Gilbert had the Bible, and he had read the Bible, and he even had a very good devotion to St. Francis of Assisi. So his, his early training was very eclectic, you could say. I'm sure he heard of the Trinity, but it must not have sunk in until Francis talked about it. So it was something in the way she was able to describe. And just knowing her devotion to the Christ child, I've got to believe that it had something to do with how would God send his own son to earth. Why would he do that? And then it's easy to go from that to having a savior and and that so, but I don't know any more specific than that, except that I know that after he talked with her, he believed in the Trinity. So she must've had a powerful way of explaining it. Other questions, anything else? Thank you so much.